Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Hope you met somebody new. Hope you blessed some people. Hey, um, I'm, I'm continuing our series this morning that we started two weeks ago. This is part three of our, of our Rebuild series. Um, and uh, so you can grab your Bibles open to the book of Nehemiah chapter two, starting with verse 17. That's where we'll be today. But I, I want to recap just for a moment, but I wanna do it this way by, by asking a question that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wondering, I'm feeling God stirring up hearts in these days. Uh, and I'm wondering how many are actually beginning to believe that God actually is not just willing to, but wants to rebuild the broken places in us, right? I think that's re- a really great place to start. When we're talking about rebuilding, I think that we need to know that it's not just that God's willing to reluctantly, but God is gladly desirous of rebuilding us from the inside out. All right, he wants to do that. And he has dreams that he wants to activate in you that are gonna bless you and bless others because of you, okay? And I also wanna know this, how many of us are actually beginning to believe that God wants to, not not just has to, but wants to use us to partner with his heart in rebuilding the world around us? How many of us are believing that? Okay, this is, this is something massive. This is, this is God, God has a great co-mission for us. He has invited us into what his heart is on mission to do, all right? It's a co-mission. He's des- he, he desires to partner with us in the rebuilding of the world. And I, we need to begin to see that God wants to rebuild us. He wants to, and he wants to use us to rebuild what's broken around us. This is massive. This is Isaiah 61 stuff. When Jesus walked into the temple declaring that he was the Messiah and announcing his arrival, he read Isaiah 61. The scroll of Isaiah 61, he says, I've come to rebuild the broken places, the desolate places, and I want to use you, right? So this is massive, and we need to get this. When the church gets this, we're going to be, uh, we're, we're going to be love to the world and dangerous to darkness, okay? So, so Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse uh, 17 and then going to verse 20, I'm going to be reading that in a moment, but I, before I, I get there, I want to set this up uh, this morning with a story about my dog, Champ. You guys know that I have a golden doodle named Champ, right? Yeah, I just shot him last night. No, I, that's how I... I wish. In my dreams, I dreamt of it. Just bam. Anyway, uh, but uh, the, uh, he is so cute to look at. He's just horrible to live with. So uh, anyway, I want to tell you a story like this. And, uh, you know, God wants to rebuild golden doodles all over the world. So, uh, but uh, my dog Champ was in the backyard with my wife. My, my wife was doing her thing in the backyard a, a few weeks ago, actually multiple weeks ago now, back when it was a little warmer. And, uh, and Champ was sitting there um, for at least a half an hour just eating my grandmother's um, uh, hydrangea bush that my, gra- my grandmother dug up from her Georgia garden, came and planted it in my yard, all right? And my dog Champ decided to go eat it. My wife was watching this happen and just let him go, all right? So uh, we had to get soul care for that, all kinds of counseling and whatnot, you know? <laughs> So, uh, but uh, it's actually, Champ is so wild that him destroying, you know, something that, uh, that is very meaningful to our family, but just being a good boy and sitting there was a blessing to my wife, all right? If that gives you a picture of how this dog is. Um, so anyway, so he's eating this, and what we found out later, Champ, I'll skip all the details, but we found out this later that Champ has actually, he's really good in this area. He's never gotten us up one time at night. He's always slept through the night, and even if he wasn't sleeping, he never us, never whined. He was a patient, good golden doodle boy and waited for us to get up in the morning. And except for this night, the night after he ate my, my Graham's hydrangea, um, he was crying for hours. And he woke us up. We, we, put him, we put him downstairs so we sleep upstairs. Woke us up literally crying. It was it kind of like an eerie, weird weird howling slash something. And I went down and I stayed up, this is 1.30 in the morning, I stayed up with him all night because he was about as sick as he could be. I slept on the couch, I tried to nurse him, I tried to help him, and as soon as I could, in the morning I started calling um, 
uh, vets and animal hospitals, and I started sharing Champ's symptoms, and none of the, the hospitals uh, or uh, veterinarians would see him. They basically gave him a death sentence and said, yeah, we don't, like, he's, he's pretty much done, all right? And so I found uh, one animal hospital, it was the Mason-Dixon Animal Hospital down in, like, the Shrewsbury area. I found, they said, we'll take him, and so I drove him down there first thing in the morning. I, I, I brought him in, and uh, I've been to multiple emergency rooms for humans. I've never been to one for, for animals, and this was way worse than any of them, all right? I've seen all kinds of things in, uh, in ERs. This was insane. There's like blind llamas. There was, uh, there was like weird parrots and whatnot. It's like people like with the weirdest animals, like one-eyed cats and stuff. I'm like, man, cats aren't good with two eyes. Why do you, why, yeah, anyway, it was just, it was just so, it was, I'm just like, come on. So all this stuff, so I, I take, I take Champ in there, and I, I walk him in there, and I'm sitting, I'm waiting, you know, you take a number, you're sitting, you're waiting, I'm very freaked out by these llamas, like, ah, nah, I mean, I'm just like, what is going on here? Um, I, I'm like, I hope this is just quick. Um, and I'm sitting there, uh, and I'm listening to all of these people sign their animal in. And this is, this is just, this has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. It's just fun, all right? So they're signing their animal in, and they ask the same question, if your animal uh, needs resuscitated on the table, do you want us to revive it? And everybody's like, yes, yes, no questions asked. You know, resuscitate this animal. And so when I finally get up to, uh, to the table <laughs> and they ask me that question, and now listen, there's a packed ER room full of animal-loving people in this place, all right? Packed, all right? By this time, there's like, a, you know, a... a uh, a badger probably in there. It's like all kinds of animals in this place. Um, and so they asked me the question, do you want champ? Do you want us to resuscitate champ should he need to? And so, and I paused and I felt every head in that room snap around and stare at me. Honestly, it's like time stood still. They were watching a Marvel movie on a, on a I, I think it paused as I said, as I thought for a second, and here was my question. I said, how much does that cost? <laughs> <laughs> I, I promise you, I could, I could feel the hate. I could just feel the hate coming through the air, getting at me. I think I even heard like a, short, a sword unsheathed, just, soon, just, just for a second. And they said $175. And I go, oh, like that. And uh, I thought for a second, and I th thought of my kids. I thought of all the loss they've gone through. And I said, you know what? Go ahead and do it. I, my life was spared because of that answer, right? <laughs> So what happens then is then I have to wait in line because there's one uh, veterinary doctor. And I had to wait in line for, I don't know, about an hour and a half before I got up and I said, is, do you have any time frame for me? And they didn't have a time frame. I promise you, this was about eight in the morning that I got there. I, I waited until, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon till Champ finally went in. When he went in, I was able to leave and go to a coffee shop, and I had my computer with me, make some calls and do some stuff. I get back at 5 o'clock, still no word, and I just said, hey, I have to leave right now. Can I leave Champ with you? It'd be the best night of my life, right? And they said, yeah, sure, you can. And this is the weird thing. As soon as I left, 10 minutes later, the vet calls. So it's just kind of one of those things. You, you wait all day. You finally leave. Then I have to turn around and go back. All of the, I have to cancel all my meetings. I had to get on the phone with Julie. We have to figure all these things out all because of I decided to have a pet named Champ, Golden Doodle, for my family, right? You know, here, here's, here's the thing. This is what life as a pet owner is, right? This is what I was thinking. This is, this is if I'm deciding to be a pet owner, this is what it looks like. I have to care for this thing. I have to pay for this thing. I have to be up at night with this thing. I have to find clinics for this animal. And, and whether I like it or not, if this is my dog, this is what I have to do as a pet owner, right? If I'm not prepared to do those things, I just need to settle for stuffed animals. Cute looking, cuddly things. You can still hug them. You still love on them. You just don't have to take them to the vet, right? That's how it is. Okay, now today I wanna to talk about this. That like, just like there's a cost of being a pet owner, and we get that. We, we get what it is to sacrifice for a dog, okay? We don't get what it is to sacrifice for a God dream, okay? We get, listen to this, we get what it is to disciple a son or a daughter in lacrosse, 
Field hockey, volleyball, basketball, wrestling, football. We get that. We know what it looks like. You start young, you get coaches, you, get, you sacrifice every single Saturday for 18 years. We, we get that. We don't understand the price that you have to pay for discipleship in the church. We do not get that. Okay? So and I, today I, I want to talk about the, the cost of rebuilding. Because there is a cost associated with rebuilding. If you're all excited and you say, hey, I'm excited to, to give God my anger and take on brokenness and tears, if you heard uh, part one. If you, if, if you were here last week, say, hey, I'm excited to get a, a fresh vision from God and I'm excited to do a, a good, thorough, honest inspection of what is broken. I'm excited about that. Today I'm saying if you're excited about those things, you're gonna have to get excited about the cost associated with what rebuilding requires. I promise you, it is the nastiest job there is. I promise you. So many people, I, I feel this all the time, so many people want to be leaders. So many people come to me and say, put me in coach, put me in. Get offended when I say not yet. You don't know that I'm saving your skin. Thank me later. But being a rebuilder, being a pioneer, being a visionary, being a dreamer in the kingdom is the hardest thing there is in my opinion. All right, there's a cost associated with it, with it that if you've never done it, you just never know it. Just like you can watch other people parent, but until you are one, you don't know the cost associated with the call, All right? So today I wanna talk about the cost of being a rebuilder, but here's specifically what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk specifically about why people give up on God dreams. They don't know the cost, I want to talk about two places in the book of Nehemiah that are going to cost you specifically, and here's, and they're really in two reasons. Here, let me show you this in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse 17, going to verse 20. Here we go. It says, then I said to them, see, if, just a little backdrop here, Nehemiah uh, has just been doing a thorough inspection on the wall. He's finding all the broken places. He went out at night. His, uh, his team trusts him so much. They're walking around the streets of Jerusalem looking at broken things, just following Nehemiah, not even knowing what they're doing yet, all right? They have no clue. They're just following Nehemiah around. He's riding a donkey. They're like, okay, uh, you know, they're just with him. And now Nehemiah says this. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Now that is the dream that everybody has. I inspected the wall, I shared the dream and everybody was just excited about it, right? All right. So they strengthened their hands for the good work and everything was exciting. Look at verse 19. But when Sanballat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Guys, you see what's happening here? So Nehemiah, out of a tear-filled, burdened heart, has been released by the king to go rebuild the walls. He's made proper inspection of the walls, and he has a plan, all right? But he knows he can't do this on his own, so he has to communicate that God dream to the other people, and they have to do it together. And then he also has to face the opposition. I, I'm telling you, here's, here's two main reasons why people give up on God dreams. Okay, number one, you can write this down, then I'm gonna break these out, but number one is just poor communication, okay? I think so many times, you've got a God dream, you communicate it poorly, and then what happens is you get discouraged. So I would actually say discouragement is one of the main things that, uh, that cause you to give up. I am so discouraged. I shared my idea with people, they didn't get on board, and, and I'm, I'm so discouraged, I'm just gonna stop. All right, but here's the other thing. It's you didn't prepare for opposition. So when you share your God dream, it's not only that people didn't get on board and go, yay, they actually became your enemies and opposed you. So, so you're not only discouraged, but now you're rejected, okay? 
and then you give up because of the rejection or you give up because of the discouragement or you give up because a combination of both of those things. And I promise you there is no way around discouragement and rejection if you're going to be a rebuilder in the kingdom. Okay? This is, we can't have a theology that, that is so out of touch with life that there is no room for discouragement and rejection in the kingdom. Jesus himself had to endure these things, right? Like you are not gonna be the exception, all right? And so when, when we don't know, hey, I, I'm gonna operate in this rebuilding, I'm gonna be a rebuilder in the kingdom, okay? And there's gonna be joy unspeakable in it because I'm, I'm gonna be operating under the, the hand of God. But as far as what it's gonna look like here, there's gonna be a whole lot of, of discouragement horizontally and I'm gonna face a whole lot of rejection horizontally. And I just have to be ready to face these things. The call, of God's, uh, the call of God on my life has to be bigger than those two things. And many of us, we walk in, we're, we have a God dream, so we feel the fire of the dream, but we don't know that it's gonna cost us friends. We don't know that it's gonna cost us finances. We don't know that it's gonna cost us homes. We don't know that it's gonna cost us dearly. And so when those things arise, we just give up. Now, I, I think that, people that actually have a real genuine call of God on their life that are on the sidelines having given up after God was calling them into something beautiful. I, I don't think that there's many things that are, as, that are as hurtful as that, harmful as that. People that are so discouraged or so rejected that they decide to watch instead of build. All right? So I want to dig into these two things a little bit here today. And I actually want to talk about, uh, about kingdom communication because many times dreamers, they have the picture that God has put in their hearts and they share that, but they don't communicate to other people well that don't have the same picture. They just, their expectation is they should just know. They should just know, all right? If God is gonna give you a dream, he's also giving you the responsibility to communicate that dream. I've learned that the hard way, friends, in ministry. Okay, so let's talk about communication and let's see how Nehemiah does it here in chapter two, verse 17. I'm just gonna read this again. Then I said to them, you see that? See that word said? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, all right? That, um, Nehemiah didn't have a dream that he talked to people, you know? He, Nehemiah didn't get around people and vibe off something and just hope they get it. Nehemiah didn't, you know, kind of talk around an issue, just Nehemiah is very clear. He said to them, he didn't say to someone else in hopes that the, someone else will kind of say it to, to them, all right? He said to them, and here's what he said. You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now, there is so much stuff in here, but I wanna say when you're communicating, make the, make the vision to rebuild clear, abundantly clear. When you think it's clear to you, run it by somebody else, not like you, see if it's clear to them, and then take their critique, not, not as a discouragement, but as, a, as a, a forward advance on clarity for everybody. You get this? All right? Make the vision to rebuild clear, and then make it clearer, and then make it clearest. All right, use a team, run it through everybody. I already said this, but if God gives you a dream, he's giving you the responsibility as well to communicate it with clarity. This is a whole lot of frustration gets welcomed into, the, into this part. Why didn't you know it? Well, you never told me. Yeah, I did. Well, it, if it wasn't clear to them, then it's on you as the rebuilder, all right? Here's some steps to consider when you're communicating. Number one, start with the problem. I hope you're writing this down, all right? Unless you have a photographic memory, then just, just take it to heart, you know? But listen, when, when you are communicating, start with the problem. Do you see how Nehemiah does this? He said to them, what does he say? What's the first thing that he says? He says, you see the trouble we are in. You see this? this is, he's starting, he's not being a downer. He's just operating in the reality. Actually, actually trouble you're in in the kingdom is just, is, is, you know, it's just a potential kingdom trophy. Trouble turns into trophies in the kingdom all the time, right? You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, okay? Guys, we're in trouble. You know what that trouble looks like? 
Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls are broken down. We don't even have gates. They've been burned by the enemy. Guys, this is, so we're starting with the problem. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Now, the reason this is important is that many people start with their idea without ever linking their God idea to the hearts of the people by stating the problem that their vision is the answer to. You get that? You hear that? What links the God idea to people's hearts is how the God idea is an answer to something that troubles people's hearts. Okay? So in other words, Nehemiah says, we are in trouble, here's why. Our city is in ruins. That, that's another way of saying the walls are down. The, the walls are rubble. There aren't even walls. There's just brokenness all around us. And our gates are burned. That means that anybody can come in. All right, we have no control here. All right, have you ever seen Shark Tank? You ever seen that show? It's kind of interesting. I, I, was, I was into watching it for a while. It really had my attention there for a while. I was thinking of going on it. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but then I thought, you know, I, I'd guard my own heart. I don't want to be up against those guys and gals. They, they are sharky. Uh, but, uh, but the people who, at, on Shark Tank, people who ask for support or an investment in their idea without clearly linking their idea or invention to a legitimate problem, never get a deal. Watch it. All right, this is just, it's a kingdom principle that even the business world operates in. Ideas, God ideas are answers to bad problems. You have to first start, here's the problem, and then here's the divine solution, okay? So make, make the problem known, it's going to be okay. God's bigger than any problem, amen? So do not be afraid to state the problem. When you do proper inspection of the walls, and you see the problems, those problems turn into potential, okay? So here's, here's the next thing. When you start with the problem, step two is invite others into the solution, okay? If God's given you a dream, the dream better be bigger than you. In other words, you better need everybody else around you to accomplish it, or it's not, a, it's not big enough. It's not, it's not a God dream enough, all right? You have to invite others into the solution. This is what God dreams do. God doesn't just set individuals up to be served by others. God uses servants to engage communities, okay? So invite others into the solution. Look at, look at 17b, the second half of verse 17. He, here's what he says. He says, you know the trouble. Now he does the invitation. He does, he's, he's invites everybody else. Come, come, open invitation. Let us there's another divinely inspired word. Not let me, not watch me, not watch me and my team, but let us, the community of uh, Israel, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we, see there's another word, this, uh, this is community again, that we may no longer suffer derision, okay? So invite others into the solution. Do you see that? I do. Do you know that the word derision here uh, means... Uh, means shame or disgrace. We don't use that word a whole lot, but basically what Nehemiah is saying, he's saying we as a community are being shamed and we as a community are suffering disgrace, but we don't have to. We, we can change this, but it's gonna take us doing this together. Who's with me? I wanna, I wanna invite you to come and be a part of us rebuilding something bigger than ourselves. So what is, now as simple as this sounds, it's very hard to actually enact. It's very hard to actually walk out and live out. It's, it's very difficult because the mistake that most often is made in this is that instead of inviting other people to be a part of the community-wide solution, we invite other people into our pain. Okay? Think about it for a second. It happens like 90% of the time. We see a problem, we see walls broken down, we see gates that were burned, we, uh, we, we see that problem, we tell other people about the problem, and then instead of inviting other people into a solution to fix it, we just invite people into our commiseration group just to complain about it until Jesus returns. All right, and what happens, and this is how the church, most, the church is not known for rebuilding stuff. The church is known more for painting stuff. All right, 
We don't know what it is to actually have the, the hand of God on us and become dangerous to darkness for the most part. Every once in a while, it breaks out and we're like, oh, wow, weird. I don't know if we can trust that. Because the culture that we've created is not a supernatural culture that is used to darkness being invaded by light. It is a pain culture that is just used to people being upset. Okay? And so what happens when you invite others into pain instead of a solution, you create a culture that is upset but is solutionless. All you can do is just, just whine and cry about what's wrong, what's wrong. And did you see? And they said, and ah, 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 what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's just get together more and whine and cry more about what's wrong. And then maybe pray and maybe, maybe, I don't know, cry more. All right? And now these would not be tears that God gives. These would be tears that are just worldly, where we just, they're tears of, of you know, dissatisfaction, there's just tears of, of, of pain that, that needs to be done away with eventually, all right? And needs to be advanced on in the kingdom, okay? So we, let's stop creating cultures that are upset with no solutions and let's actually invite people into solutions where we see the kingdom advance and the enemy lose. Come on, right? All right, and so here's, so in communication, we start with the problem, we invite others into the solution. And then here's the third thing. We share the end from the beginning. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like following people that say, hey, I'm gonna do this. I don't really know what's gonna happen, but you know, I don't know. Do you just want a wild ride a little? Ah, no, like, you get one life, you know, Kimosabi? Like, I actually wanna do something with my life. I actually wanna go somewhere with my life. I don't just wanna, you know, see what happens. And I love here what Nehemiah says to these people. He says this, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that, here's, the, here's what we're aiming at, that we may no longer suffer derision. He says, here's what's gonna happen as we join together and operate on this God dream that the hand of God is on us to do. If we do it together, and we look at this problem in the eye and we say, God is bigger than you. And we team up together and we're ready to count the cost to rebuild this wall and hang these gates. You know what's going to happen is we're going to walk out of our shame with honor. And we're going to walk out of our disgrace being graced with the powerful move and presence of God. That's what we're going to do. That's where we're going. Who is with me? So you share the end from the, the, from the beginning. This is where we're going it's gonna be hard getting there. We're gonna need a lot of communication. We're gonna need a lot of grace for one another, but we're in this together. We don't need to have a future that has disgrace in it. We need one that has massive grace and happiness and joy, joyousness in it. We no longer need to live in this shame that is not a culture of the kingdom, all right? So this is, so, so what we do, listen to this. I, I want us to think about all the ways that we've, we've had an idea, but the idea has been shelved or actually died, and maybe we're even bitter today, but the problem was you never started with the problem, all right? You skipped right over that. You tried to be the know-it-all that just brings solutions, all right? No one wants to follow that, and you don't know where you're going. Right? That's not good visionary leadership, my friends. And, and Nehemiah didn't operate in that. And God's calling us to rebuild in such a way that people know we're going, uh, here's where we're going. Here's how we're getting there. It's going to be hard. We're going to count the cost. But this problem is going to be an opportunity. I'm excited about that. I don't know about you. Now, now so, so communication is one. But let, let's actually get to the hard one. Okay. So communication is one way where we get discouraged and we give up. But opposition is, is the real challenge, okay? Nobody likes to be opposed if they're healthy, right? Nobody, like maybe some people have a, a, a weird obsession with opposition, all right? But for the most part, when people set themselves up to be the antithesis to our calling or to our idea, Right, usually that doesn't feel great. But I wanna tell you, I think that what the Holy Spirit is doing in these days is he's beginning to stir people that would, would rather die than compromise. That would, that would rather say, Jesus, if you're happy with me, I'm fine if nobody else is. Like, God, like, I wanna make sure that I'm in proper step with your heart, and then people that are out of step with your heart, they can just have fun being out of step. But as long as Jesus, you and me are okay, like, 
I, I, I'm going to keep rolling. Let me tell you this, that when we're talking about op, op, uh, opposition, that when you resolve to rebuild what the enemy did his best to destroy, hell will come against you, and that's a promise. Do you hear this? We say, oh, we wanna be dangerous to darkness. We wanna rebuild the broken places. Well, how did those places get broken? The enemy did his best to destroy them. And when you tramp back into or trounce back or whatever the word is, when you step back into the enemy's domain, and you stare at the problem that he started. And you say, these broken walls, they will be rebuilt. These gates will be rehung. And we're all gonna do this together. When you step back into the enemy's camp and you go after his territory that he spent millennia trying to pull down, he's not gonna be happy with it. And you can be assured that you're gonna face opposition of the nastiest kind. Your friends are gonna turn against you. Demons are gonna chase you. It is going to be crazy, but good. Nothing good happens. Uh, nothing good happens when we're not willing to actually face the darkness with the light of Jesus, all right? So you have to be okay with opposition. You, you can't be, and let me say it this way, you, we've gotta stop being surprised by it. So last year I almost died twice. Yeah. Probably this year it might be four times, right? I, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to, all right? I'm gonna keep facing all the enemies. Yeah, let me tell you this. When Providence was first starting, I, I told you that two pastors came to my house and told me not to do this. I had to basically give the equivalent of a spiritual middle finger to these guys, all right? Just like get off my lawn and out of my life, you know? I, I, but I promise I was working on a sermon late into the night, and this is going to scare us, but I, I really feel like I should tell us. I, I, I push back from my desk. I'm wrestling with the word of God, all right, which we must learn to do. We know all about like Danny Gokey songs. We can't quote Romans 3.23 anymore. Like, come on, all right? But I push back from my desk, and I feel someone watching me out the window, and I slowly turn my head, and a faceless black figure that looked like one of those ring wraiths from Lord of the Rings is staring at me through my window, all right? Guys, this is real. What do you think we're doing? This isn't a club. This isn't a, this isn't a club. Like, this isn't a, this isn't the YMCA, just having programs for people to become better athletes. This is, we are actually invading darkness and rebuilding what the enemy tried very hard to destroy, all right? It's, it's when you see a ring wraith out your window, you just have to giggle in its face. That is what you do with, <laughs> whatever. Now, what did God's word say? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you have been defeated. Get off my lawn, you and all the other pastors, right? So, so when you resolve to build what the enemy did his best to destroy, hell will come against you, and we must be ready for that. So many people have been sidelined. They would rather spend all of their days helping their kids hit a ball over a net than actually set up a legacy for their kids to walk in and thrive in, all right? So listen to this. Nehemiah chapter 2, 19 and 20, when Sanballat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? All right, now let's just stop there for a moment because jeering is another word that we don't use much. Jeering is uh, saying rude remarks or mocking remarks, usually loudly. That's what jeering is. And so you're gonna have sand ballots in your life. You're, you're gonna have Tobias in your life that when you're going after the call of God on your life, they're actually there on assignment, not by mistake, by the enemy to jeer at you. It will happen, guys. I'm not, it, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's, it's going to happen. They're already on assignment. You just, if you take a step into your destiny, they're going to appear. All right, and what these what they're doing is um, they're uh, they're jeering and despising us. All right, the word despise means hated. They're not going to like you. They're they're uh, let's keep going. Are you rebelling against the king? So they're they're not asking real questions. That's what they'll tell everybody else. Like, oh, Nehemiah got all miffed. 
all I was doing was asking him a question. Like, I don't know, I think he has anger problems. No, like, no, you're demonic in, in your origins, all right? And you're asking questions, but they're not questions. They're, they're disguised as accusations, just like their father, the devil. Then, and I, 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 let's talk a little bit more about this. Like, like, people like to be liked for the most part. I get it. But you can't like being liked more than you love having God's hand on your life. You, you can't like people liking you. You can't, you can't walk in the call of God on your life and have everybody like you and take down demonic strongholds at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Part of the cost is I'm gonna lose friends. We're gonna see who our friends actually were. And I love what Nehemiah does here after they're questioning, they're accusing, they're mocking, they're jeering, they're despising, all right? Nehemiah is not in the business of making friends, but I love that Nehemiah is ready for the opposition. And what Nehemiah says is this, verse 20, then I replied to them. Listen, I replied to them, so key. We, so many leaders, we reply to others about them. All right, that's not how it works. You reply to the one doing the jeering, to the one doing the accusing. And I found most of the time, most of the jeering and the accusing comes through the grapevine. All right, so just when it actually comes from the source, like capitalize on that moment and let it be a holy confrontation. All right, and, and here's how you do it. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Once again, he's not making it about him. He's not taking it, this is a personal assault on his life. This is about us. I invited people to come and they came. This is now not about me, this is about us. The God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. And in other words, you can jeer at us, you can laugh at us, you can not like us, you can make life hard. We're ready for it. We're doing what we're doing. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I love that. In other, in other words, you're not a part of the covenant people of God. You're not a part of the family. We listen to a family around here. You're outside the covenant and the kingdom. And, and I, I, this is, this is I'm, not waste, I'm not wasting my heart on you today. I'm going after the heart of my dad. Now, if you flip to Nehemiah chapter four, six and nine, I wanna read this to you as well. It says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. So, so Nehemiah and, uh, and, and his people here, they're actually, uh, they're moving forward with progress despite the opposition. For the people had a mind to work. So in other words, they, the people have the same mind. The people are like, we're gonna do this and it's gonna be hard. But look at verse seven. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Can everybody just say a big biblical duh to that, all right? When, when people see you advancing when their heart for you was to fall, okay? They're going to be angry, all right? Just like, that's just part of the territory. Like, join the club, all right? Of course you are. That should encourage us, not, not cause us to check out. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now, now this is an attack of the enemy. When people are massively confused and, and don't know why, they're just like, I don't know who I'm shooting. I'm just squeezing the trigger. I'm just like, ah, I'm confused. I'm confused. Listen, before you start making decisions and before you start running and before you start uh, character assassinating, get clarity because God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity and communication. You see, if there's, con if there's confusion, it's not from God. All right, so what you have to do is seek the heart of God first, get clarity, and then make good, godly, kingdom, Holy Spirit-inspired decisions based on the word of God, right? And, we've, and here's, here's how Nehemiah, Nehemiah never uses his platform to argue. Look at verse nine, and we prayed to our God, they prayed. They prayed, guys, they prayed. This is not, 
This, this, is, this is just the, the first line of defense in the kingdom. And we pray to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So they prepared, we're gonna protect Jerusalem from these people, we know what they're doing, they're trying to breed confusion. Here's how they, here's how they did that, if you look at verse 17 and 18, um, so that the people who were building on the wall, those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. See that? So the people that are carrying bricks, they have bricks in one hand and a sword in the other. The people that are carrying sticks, logs, logs in one hand, a tomahawk in the other, all right? In verse 18, and each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And it goes on that they're prepared for battle while they build. That's just, listen, that's how it works when you're taking ground. When you're rebuilding what the enemy tore down, there is going to be attack while you build. You don't get this, this timeout, this truce where the enemy says, you know what, you've had a hard life. You just go build a while and then we'll fight after you build. It's not how it works, guys. This is how we imagine. And then what we do is we say, God, why are you not for me? Right? And we blame God for this. God's like, hey, get, uh, get, let my dream for your life be bigger than your idea of what it should be, all right? So, so and then there's one, there's one more in, in actually um, chapter six, verses one through nine. I'm just gonna read it. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at whatever that word is in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I said, so now they're trying to lure Nehemiah in to a, uh, an ungodly conversation, an ungodly alliance. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Look at verse four. And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand and it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. All suddenly, these people know the motives of others' hearts. Now we see. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Look at verse seven. And you have also set up prophets proclaiming concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. But that's a passage. I just want to read the whole thing so you can just you can see how it works. When people try to bait you into conversations that are not of his heart. When they try to come along, they try to know your motives but it's pride and arrogance at best. And the response that, that Nehemiah has to all this deception, the response that Nehemiah has to all this accusation, and uh, the response that Nehemiah has to all this fear-mongering, and the response that Nehemiah has to all this falsifying of information, and this perversion of information, the response that Nehemiah has is he speaks directly to the lie, and he prays the opposite of the accusation. You see this? So God, God, this sand ballot homeboy over here is trying to make me afraid. I pray that you would make me strong instead. God, these people are trying to lead me into this weird conversation. I just pray the truth that I already know into this situation. I pray against the lie, but it's not, it's not anger. Do you see that the glory of, of God is at the root of this thing? God, I just wanna do what you've called me to do with my life. Now, there's going to be times, guys, where, where while you're rebuilding, it's gonna feel like you're losing. Like I remember um, 
when we had grown to about 300 people and we were in Hanover and we were at the Hanover High School and I got a call from the superintendent that basically said, you guys have like three weeks or something to be out. And I sat down and they said, our school board says that you guys need to get your own facility. And I, I said, with all due respect, I don't answer to your school board, all right? And we had to have this conversation, um, but, uh, it was, a, uh, it was a hard time. I remember feeling like, God, that you grow us to about 300 people, and now we don't even have a place to go. What I didn't realize is that God was actually setting us up to move to Spring Grove. I always had it on my heart, that the God dream on my heart that we, is that we would be the center of the action. And I thought the center of the action was gonna be somewhere around Gene Latta Ford, where all the great godly kingdom action is. You know what I'm saying? Out there, like, you know, just like where there's Tarjay and whatnot, who knows what's gonna go out there? I thought that's where we would be, and actually, uh, six or seven acres opened up out there, all right? But as we prayed about it, we, we realized, number one, it's not time to build a facility. It's not time to build a house yet. It's, it's, it's time to actually move to the center of York County, all right? And we're gonna be in the center of the action, but we're not gonna be a, a church just for a town. We're gonna be a church for a region. That is the call of God. So we moved here. We were in the, in the Spring Grove uh, Middle School for eight years, and now God has us a, in our own house, and it's really great. But the Providence has never been about buildings, always been about Jesus. And I can, I can say with pure heart today, this house is cool and we're thankful, but this is not what we're about, all right? All right? But what happens is, is when the enemy comes and tries to shut down what's going on, um, we have to trust that God is bigger than any problem and he's bigger than anything that would, that would uh, set itself up against the dream that God has in his heart for us to rebuild. All right? Now, what has happened? Here's what I, I'm going to wrap this up right now. But here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning is I just want to be bold enough to say it like this. I want to encourage you to repent for being angry at people that you didn't communicate effectively with. I think there's people, I think there's people here, you're angry at people that didn't get your dream right or didn't get your idea right, but the problem is not them, the problem is you. You didn't communicate well with them. How are they supposed to get your God dream if you didn't put the, the steps, the necessary steps to help them see, all right? I think that waves of good heavenly repentance that will call us back. Listen, it's, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I'm not asking you to feel bad enough to change. I'm asking you to feel good enough about God to repent, all right? So just the kindness of God is inviting us in to say, you know what, God, I changed my mind. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. That will change your life, all right? And here's the other thing. I, uh, I think that God's calling us to repent for giving up when it was tough. The moment opposition came up, we actually took that opposition as God doing that instead of us walking into the enemy's camp. God doesn't oppose you. You hear that? God, God disciplines those he loves, yet God doesn't always walk us into a bed of, of sunshine and roses, you know? It's not always, you know, like, like Julie's world, strawberry shortcake out there, right? It's not, it's not always like that in the kingdom. It is hard. So sometimes God calls us into hard things for our growth, but opposition is a whole nother thing. God doesn't oppose us. And we have, we have told God that it's his fault for something that had never originated with him. And that when it got tough, we didn't hold on to his call on our lives enough and see it through. And so we sidelined ourselves. I think that we just need to say, hey God, put me back in the game. I'm so sorry for stepping out. I, I want to rise up in these days, call you blessed and get realigned with the calling and the rebuilding dream that you have in your heart. For me and this church and my family and my workplace and this neighborhood. This is, guys, listen, um, my, the Herndon family, me and Adrian, our kids, we have had multiple opportunities to leave Hanover. We, we, we bought one house in Hanover and we were living in the same exact house that you know, our, our kids were born in and Providence started in, and we could have moved to the countryside. We have three acres with you know, multiple golden doodles and a pond for them to swim in, all right? And we, we, we could do that. 
all right? We've stayed in town because God has called us to stay here and invade Hanover with his love and spirit and presence, all right? It's, it's not always, it's not opportunism, all right? When opposition comes, like these pastors know where I live. I've had multiple swearing, angry people knock on my door, swearing at me, telling me to, you know where to go in front of my children. They know where I live. Wouldn't it be better just to leave and run for the hills? No. What is better is to stay where you're called. Stay where you're called. And so many of us, we've, we, when we started getting opposed, we ran from our calling instead of staying where we're called and seeing breakthrough happen, all right? And so this morning, I, I want us to repent of those things. I want us to see God do great and mighty unimaginable miracles as a result of our obedience in these days. Who in the world wants that? Anybody? Good. Let's stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, I'm almost 10 minutes over here, um, but I, I just feel like you wanna do so many good things in hearts. So right now, God, I just, I, I invite you, Holy Spirit, just to really go to those places in our hearts and wherever we need our hearts to line up with yours. But whatever ways we've sidelined ourselves and we've stopped working on the wall. God, whatever ways we've let discouragement and, uh, and pain actually becoming the, the determining factors of the direction of our lives instead of, instead of just pure, holy obedience to your heart, God. We repent of those things and we change our minds about them today and we give them back to you. And in place, we want our callings back. We want our callings back, God. We want tools back in our hands. We wanna build the wall that you've called us to build. And we wanna be rebuilders, known as rebuilders, God. I just pray that you do that in each person. I pray that you touch each person. I pray that you bless each person. I pray that where the enemy has tried to discourage each person, actually just put your hands out in receiving posture if you need encouragement. I pray that where the enemy has tried to discourage that right now you would breathe encouragement to those hearts and to those lives and to those souls and to those families. God, and uh, where people have chosen pain instead of staying in the fight. Put your hands out on that. Heavenly Father, you are the balm of Gilead. You, you can heal every pain, God. So we choose your healing instead of running from pain and we press into what you have for us, God. So where, we, where we've run from pain, God, we just received this morning fresh and new. We receive our callings back. And God, we just pray that you, we would be sent out now um, to uh, be dangerous to the devil and that we would be, the, that the world, God, when the world sees us coming, they would open their hearts and be glad to see us. They would not cringe and run, that we would carry your heart so well in these days. So I just bless this church with that. Rebuild us and let us partner with your heart. Thank you, God, that you want to, want to, you desire to rebuild us, God. And so we just partner with your heart in these days and we bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.